Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. To Philippians chapter 2. I'd like for us to consider this morning living the sacrificial life. Living the sacrificial life. When we join together as a church to observe communion, we always recognize that the bread and the cup are symbolic of the sacrifice of Jesus for our souls. The bread is his body nailed to a tree, to a cross. The cup is his blood, shed for our sins. Scripture says, life is in the blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, there is no forgiveness of sin. And when we take the elements, we... Rejoice, I would pray you rejoice in your spirit that Christ has died for you. But when we also take the bread and the cup, we're saying to the Lord, not only do I acknowledge your sacrifice for me, but I also commit my life as a sacrifice for you. He gave his life for me in death. I give my life to him for service. And that's one of the injunctions the Apostle Paul made. Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, who is your reasonable, and the word in the original is worship. Your reasonable worship. I want to remind us that at the writing of this letter, the Apostle Paul was in a Roman prison for preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But even so, his faith in Jesus Christ and his ministry and his witness the gospel of Jesus Christ had a profound effect upon those who were in prison with him and those who were outside the walls of the prison, even throughout the entire city of Rome. Paul's love for Jesus, and that's what it all boils down to. We do not serve because we have to. We do not minister because we want to. We do not suffer and sacrifice our lives because it's the right thing to do as a Christian. We do what we do because we love Jesus. We do what we do because we love Jesus. Amen. His love for Jesus compelled him to give his life sharing the gospel of Jesus with those who were lost, spiritually lost, spiritually dying, condemned in their sin, 
and destined for an eternity separated from God in hell. And he saw himself as the minister of the gospel, a messenger of the Lord Jesus Christ to snatch those souls from hell before they passed off from this life. He loved Jesus. And he loved the lost. He genuinely loved lost people. And wanted to see them saved. He loved the church. He loved Jesus. He loved the lost. And he loved the church. A lot of people nowadays despise the church. Don't want to be a part of the fellowship of believers. Would rather stay home and watch it on TV. Rather than to join with brothers and sisters in the spirit of the Lord and rejoice together in worship and fellowship together in service, they despise the church, criticize the church, condemn the church. But Paul loved the church. Amen. He loved the church. And because of this great love for Jesus, because of this great love for the lost, because of this great love for the church, he persevered through threats on his life. And he bowed under the judgment of Rome that he would go to a prison. For the cause of the gospel. Now while others. Looked upon his situation as. Unfortunate. And as a sad state of affairs. Paul rejoiced. Paul rejoiced in it as a sacrifice. He was willing to make. For the cause of the gospel of Christ. Philippians chapter 2. Stand with me in honor of God's word as we look at verses 14 through 18. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all, for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. This is the word of God. We pray his blessing on the reading of the word. You may be seated. I want you to look at verse 17. We'll do a little bit of textual study here this morning. Paul says, yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Now the theme of Paul's letter, I guess I don't need to remind you, but for those of you who may have forgotten or have just joined with us, the, Paul, the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, the theme of this letter was his joy in the Lord. His joy in the Lord. And again, let me just simply state, there is a major difference between biblical joy and happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. It is that feeling of elation that you have 
uh, emotionally, when things are going your way, when, when life is a, a, a schooner sailing on calm seas, when uh, everything you do turns out for the best, when all of your dreams come true, when you win the lottery, for those of you who play the lottery, when you get that promotion at work, the birth of your first child, second child, third child, seventh or eighth children. But because happiness is circumstantial, it changes all the time. Happiness is like that elusive butterfly of love. You can never catch it and hold on to it for very long. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. Because circumstances change, emotions change, happiness can come and go. But joy, joy is not circumstantial, it is relational. Biblical joy is not built upon the circumstances that you're facing at the time. It is built upon your personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that never changes except that it grows greater and greater each passing day. That's why the Apostle Paul could be in a Roman prison facing all of the horrible things that people would face in an ancient Roman prison and he could say, I rejoice. I rejoice. Circumstances are not what I want them to be, but my relationship to God remains intact. Can you say that in your life? Is that where you are in your relationship to the Lord? So what is this joy? It's not emotional. It has an emotional side to it. But it is a deep-seated satisfaction that as we sang, all is well with my soul. Because all is well in my relationship to God. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So the theme of this letter, this entire Philippian letter is Paul's joy in Jesus Christ. He rejoiced in the Lord for a number of reasons. And let me ask you if you can say that you rejoice in these same reasons in your own life. He rejoiced in knowing Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. Do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? I'm not talking about have you read about him in a book. I'm not talking about have you heard about him in a sermon or in a lesson or somebody sharing with you their experiences of Christ. I'm asking, do you know Jesus Christ personally in your own heart and life? Have you confessed your sin, repented of your wayward life, turned to Jesus Christ and, and accepted him into your heart, into your life as your Lord and Savior? Have you made that commitment to Jesus? Paul rejoiced. Because he knew Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. He rejoiced because Jesus Christ called him into apostleship. Jesus called him to go out, to leave Jerusalem and to go out into the known world and to spread the good news that there is a Savior who has died and risen from the dead. And offers the gift of salvation to everyone who will believe in and receive him as Lord and Savior. But understand also that this call to apostleship was not all peanut butter and jelly. For the Lord told Ananias there in Damascus to receive the apostle into his home and to begin the discipleship process. And he told Ananias to tell the apostle Paul of the things that he must suffer for the sake of Christ. And yet Paul still rejoiced that he was being called by the Lord to serve the Lord 
for the rest of his life. He rejoiced in leading people to faith in Jesus. Have you ever led anyone to faith in Jesus Christ? Have you ever shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with someone and worked with them, prayed with them, assisted in leading them to faith in Jesus Christ? My friends, if you have never experienced leading a person to faith in Jesus Christ, this is a joy you cannot share with the Apostle Paul. He knew what it was like to see a lost person come to faith in Christ and to know the transformation in life that only Jesus Christ could effect. And he rejoiced in that. Another soul saved from hell. Another soul justified before God. Another soul in personal relationship with the true and living God. Another soul destined for the kingdom of God when this life is over. Do you know that joy? Amen. I know that joy. I, know that. I, pray, that, I pray that you know that joy as well. His heart was burdened for the salvation of the Jews, his kinsmen. But he shared the gospel with everyone that he came in contact with, with the rich and the poor, with those of high status and position, with those who were lowly and humble, men and women, the elderly, the mid-life individuals, the younger ones. He shared the gospel of Jesus and rejoiced in that. He rejoiced in discipling Christians into spiritual maturity. He was not content for the saved to sit and to sour in some church somewhere. He wanted people to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and to mature in their spirit that they might be fruitful and productive in the kingdom of God. And he was not satisfied with those who had no taste for spiritual maturity. Amen. He tried all that he could do to encourage people to press on to the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Everywhere he traveled, it was his goal to begin a church that would have a lasting effect in that area. He trained men to be pastors and teachers and evangelists and fellow missionaries. He rejoiced in ministering to churches. Even after he had left the area, he continued to reach out to the churches. One such church was this that we read about here this morning, the church in Philippi. He loved that church. He honored that church. He prayed for that church. But he also ministered to others and prayed for others because there were many other churches that the Apostle Paul was a part of ministry. He rejoiced that he could suffer. He rejoiced that he could suffer trials and temptations and tribulations for the cause of Jesus Christ. He understood. And many of this many of us have this lesson yet to learn. He understood that the fullness of Christian joy is experienced even in times of sadness and sorrow and difficulty that Christian life and Christian ministry often bring. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6, the Apostle Paul wrote, You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy, in the Holy Spirit. It was a dangerous thing to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in the empire of Rome. There was only one emperor in Rome, one king in Rome, and he thought of himself as being God in the flesh and would not tolerate any challengers to his authority or to his throne. 
It was a dangerous thing to be a Christian in the Roman Empire in the first Christian century. So Paul told those in Thessalonica, you've received the word in much affliction with joy in the Holy Spirit. To the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 4 through 10, the Apostle Paul wrote, But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience and tribulation, in need, in distress, in stripes. That means to be whipped with a whip. In stripes, in imprisonment, in tumult, in labor, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. May I be so honest? In saying that ministry is not always a walk in the park, Ministry is not always what, what it's cracked up to be. So they tell us in seminary. A lot of things in ministry that they never prepare you for. And I thank God for that. Because the best lessons learned are the ones that are learned at the grist mill. The spiritual grist mill. Suffering, laboring, working with the people of God and carrying on the ministry of God. So in considering Paul's joy in living a sacrificial life, I'd have us to note first of all, and we're in verse 17, Philippians 2, I'd have you note first of all that he rejoiced that he could live his life as a sacrifice of service to Jesus just as Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice of salvation for Paul. We sometimes forget that the Apostle Paul gladly gave up more than you and I could ever know for the ministry of the gospel in Jesus Christ. You're in Philippians 3. Look at... Verse 17, again, well, look at verse, look at verse 3, uh, chapter 3, and let's look at verses 7 through 11. Philippians 3, verses 7 through 11. But what things were gained to me, and you have to remember who Paul was before he was Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus. You have to remember who this guy was before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. What things were gained to me, these I've counted for loss for Jesus. Yet indeed I also count all things for loss, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and counted them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. What did he give up? He gave up power. He gave up authority. He gave up position. He was being groomed to take his place among the members of the Sanhedrin, the high council of the Jews, the, the supreme court of the Hebrew people in that day. He gave up reputation 
as an individual who honored the law of God, the Old Testament Mosaic law, to the letter if he could. He gained a reputation of bringing these so-called Christians into account for their faith in this heretic Jesus Christ as the Jewish Sanhedrin called Christ, a false prophet, a false teacher. And Paul prided himself and garnered the pride of all of the Sanhedrin to round up these Christians and to bring them into account for their faith in this Jesus and often presiding over their deaths. He gave up fame. He gave up fortune. He gave up honor. He gave up power. He gave up authority. He gave up everything that people nowadays would give their right arm to have. But he says here in this text, he counted all of that stuff as loss. All of that stuff is lost that he might gain the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and his suffering. So again, look at verse 17. Yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Now the word if. The word if in verse 17, you need to note this is a first class conditional sentence in the original language, which means... It states something that is true. So you would want to simply mark, not if, but since. Since. And so we would read, and yes, and since I'm being poured out as a drink offering. Since I am being poured, no question about it. He was being poured out as a drink offering. Same thing that you find back in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was out in the wilderness... Was it Matthew 4? I think it was 4. Maybe it was 5. Matthew 4. Couldn't be 5 because 5 is the Sermon on the Mount. So in Matthew 4, when he's being tested out in the wilderness, Satan comes to him and says, If you are the Son of God, no, no, no. First class conditional sentence. Since you are the Son of God, you can turn these stones into bread. Since you are the Son of God, you can jump off of the high pinnacle of the temple and the angels will take charge of you lest you dash your foot against a stone. Since you are the Son of God, all I'm asking you to do is to bow down and acknowledge me for a moment and I'll give you the glory and the riches of all the kingdoms of the world. You won't have to go to the cross. You can bypass the cross. I'll give you the kingdoms of the world if you'll simply bow the knee to me. There was no question in Satan's mind that Jesus was the Son of God. It was not a question as to that status, that position. It was an affirmation. You are the Son of God. So here we have the same situation. Paul is not saying, if I'm being poured out. He knew he was being poured out. Since I am being poured out, as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. These nine words, I am being poured out as a drink offering, single word in the Greek text, a single word. And it's in the present tense. So Paul is not talking about his martyrdom that would happen a number of years later. He's not talking about a future event where he would die giving his life as a sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ. He was talking about his current life, his current situation in the prison. And in that current situation, he was pouring out his life as a continual sacrifice for the service of the Lord. And that's what living for Christ is really all about, my friends. It's not just doing ministry every now and again when it mood hits. It's not just coming to church every now and again when you feel like it. No. The Christian, for the Christian, the life is a sacrifice, a continual sacrifice to serve the Lord in faith. A continual, ongoing sacrifice for the Lord. 
Now, notice that he considered his, his life as a drink offering poured out for the Lord. A drink offering being poured out for the Lord, continually poured out for the Lord. Later on, the Apostle Paul would find himself again in prison, this time facing death. And he knew he was facing death. And he wrote to his friend and fellow pastor, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. He writes, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Here you have the same imagery here. A drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. So he says to the Philippians, here, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. Later on, he says to Timothy, my life is being poured out as a drink offering. What's that all about? What, what is, what's, the, what's the gist here? What is it that we're supposed to understand uh, in the mind of Paul, in the heart of Paul, as he writes this letter to the Philippian church? Well, the history of the drink offering goes all the way back to Leviticus chapter 23, 2 Kings chapter 16, Jeremiah chapter 7, Hosea chapter 9, and there are other passages of Scripture in the Old Testament that underscore the activity of pouring out a drink offering. Let me give you uh, just the uh, synopsis. Let me give you just the overview. In the Old Testament under the sacrificial system in Israel, when moms and dads and sons and daughters would come to Jerusalem to worship God and to present their offering, uh, their sin offering to the Lord, which was a lamb or a, a calf or a turtle dove, something of that nature. They would bring it to the priest. The priest would kill the sacrifice, collect the blood, would take the blood into the Holy of Holies in the temple and would sprinkle the blood upon the four corners of the mercy seat of God, thereby securing forgiveness for their sin. But the, the body of the animal would be placed upon the altar of sacrifice out in the courtyard. And as that body of the animal would be roasting there in the flames, the priest would take a cup of wine and would pour that cup of wine on that sacrifice as it was being roasted. And it would almost immediately be vaporized. And as the aroma of the roasting flesh of the animal mingled with the aroma of the vaporized wine would rise up from the altar to become a sweet sacrifice of the people to God. It became a sweet smelling sacrifice to God. Leviticus chapter 23 verse 17, you shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be fine flour. They shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits of the Lord. And you shall offer with the bread seven lambs of the first year without blemish, one young bull and two rams. They shall be as burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offering. An offering made by fire for a sweet aroma to the Lord. Now, you may very well say, well, we don't offer sacrifices to God like that anymore. And you'd be absolutely correct. But dear friends, when you live for Jesus, who died for you, your living for Jesus is a sacrifice, a living sacrifice to the Lord God. And that living sacrifice, producing fruit, which is the image here, producing fruit in the kingdom of God, becomes a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord God. Your life becomes a pleasing aroma to the Lord God when you live it Amen. sacrificially Amen. for Jesus. Well, I want you to note, secondly, the Apostle Paul not only offered his life 
as a sacrifice in service to the Lord. He also offered it as a sacrifice in service to the faith of the Philippian Christians. Look at verse 17 again. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and the service of your faith. Of your faith. Paul regarded the faith. And this is a hard thing to grasp. But it's understandable when an individual, a true individual Christian, is humble in heart, humble in spirit. You would have the same attitude toward others as you would have, as the Apostle Paul had toward the Philippians. He regarded their faith and their service as being greater than his own. He regarded their faith and their service as being greater than his own. This was not false humility. This was genuine humbleness before the Lord. Paul was not arrogant in his ministry, like many ministers are today. He was not prideful in his service, like many ministers are today. He was broken in spirit. He was humbled before the Lord. Amen. And in that humbleness of heart, he regarded the sacrifice of the Philippian church greater than his own sacrifice. The Philippian Christians had been partners in ministry with Paul. From the very first day he entered into Philippi and won his first convert and began the church there, the Philippian Christians became partners with the Apostle Paul. After leaving Philippi, the church in Philippi continued to support the Apostle Paul in his ministry, to spread the gospel and to build churches throughout all of Asia Minor. Even at the time of this writing, when the Apostle Paul was sitting in a Roman prison, the Philippian church had sent messengers to him, bearing an offering to him, providing resources for him while he was in prison. Take a look at chapter 4, Philippians 4, and let's look at verses 10 through 19. Philippians 4, beginning in verse 10. The Apostle Paul writes, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. The Philippian church had sent messengers to Rome, and it was quite a distance away, since many of them traveled by foot. But they brought a gift, an offering for the relief of the Apostle Paul in prison. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to, be abound. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you share in my distress. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma. There it is, the pouring out of the sacrifices. Church sacrificed to provide for the Apostle Paul. A sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul rejoiced. In his partnership with the Philippian church. For such a sacrifice on their part. And for their continued service toward him in faith, the Apostle Paul said in verse 18, I am glad and rejoice with you all. And he encouraged them for the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. 
it's a great thing. It is a great thing when ministers and churches rejoice in serving the Lord together. It is a great thing when ministers and churches rejoice in serving the Lord together. Sometimes, and I speak this from experience, sometimes the church field becomes a battleground. A battleground for authority, position, recognition, privilege, power. I've seen groups in churches fight. When one group overstepped its authority or responsibility into another group's ministry. And they became contentious. Rather than gladly working together to serve the Lord by ministering to others, they became divisive. They quenched the Holy Spirit in the fellowship and lost the opportunity to minister effectively to each other and to the community in which they were situated. But Paul rejoiced. He rejoiced in the continuing ministry of the Philippian church in the city and beyond the city to every place where he was situated. He was glad to know that they rejoiced with him. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells two parables that really should be typical of the follower of Jesus Christ and collectively as the church of Jesus Christ. In verses 4 through 6, Jesus said, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which was lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found a sheep which was lost. He not only rejoiced in recovering what he had lost, but he called all his friends and neighbors and said, Y'all come on over, and we're going to have an ice cream social, and we're going to rejoice together. Because the sheep that I had lost has now been found. Well, that's a big thing in those days. Sheep were very important. They were valuable. Many people, their income was based upon how many members of sheep they had in their flocks and their herds. And so this was a big deal to lose one of the sheep. But Jesus also talked about rejoicing in the small things. He went on to say, Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Nancy and I were taking a walk some time ago, our usual round-the-block walk, about four miles, as we were walking along, I make it a habit of keeping my head down. And it's not because I'm embarrassed walking around the block with my wife. It's because you cannot believe the change that I find on the sidewalks and in the gutters walking around the block. One day as we were, you know, Nancy and I, we have this competition going, you know, I found, one day I found four quarters and one day I found a couple of dimes and one day I've, we were walking around, she found a $20 bill. You were wondering where that was? You don't have to wonder anymore. Change doesn't seem to be a big deal. It's a very small thing anymore. 
And in many instances in those days, it wasn't a big deal as well. But even in the little things, the woman searched all day, all night, to find the one silver coin that she had lost. And when she found it, she called all of her friends and neighbors, come on over, we're going to have a barbecue. I found my lost coin. Come rejoice with me. Churches ought to be celebrating all the time. Hey? Big things, yes, but also in the small things, the little things. We ought to be a people who rejoice. Ewell Lawson, old Texas evangelist, and he was old back when I met him 40 years ago. Just an old country preacher, an old country evangelist. I remember him getting up to speak to the convention and he was sharing about this same subject, about churches being happy, people rejoicing in the Lord. And he said, we ought to be the happiest people on the face of the earth. He said, I love being with Christian people who rejoice in the Lord. We can have more fun with less resources than anybody else on the planet. And we ought to. We ought to. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sent 70 disciples out two by two to prepare the towns and the villages for His coming ministry. In verse 17, Luke writes, Then the 70 returned with joy. They returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They came back rejoicing, disciples of Christ, working together, sharing the good news of Jesus to a lost and dying community, and they rejoiced in that ministry. They rejoiced in that ministry. For the same reason, the Apostle Paul says, and I'll wrap this up, for the same reason, the Apostle Paul said, because we are united and what affects one of us affects all of us, you also be glad with me. Be glad with me. Do not grieve at my imprisonment. Do not lament my poor treatment by the Roman guards. Let your spirit rejoice that even in prison I have the opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even among fellow prisoners, I have the freedom in Christ to expand and enlarge the borders of His kingdom. This imprisonment of the Apostle Paul would not end with Paul's martyrdom. That would come later. Yet he still rejoiced in the Lord that no matter the end result, his life or his death, would bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ, his Lord, and would see the salvation of lost people brought into his kingdom. Now, whatever our lot, my friends, whatever our lot, whatever the Lord may call us to do, wherever the Lord may send us, Whatever the circumstances we face in life, we always rejoice in living a life of sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that it is a, an offering being poured out to the Lord that brings Him joy, a sweet-smelling aroma in his nostrils. So I would ask you, as Paul asked the Philippians, rejoice with me. Rejoice in our ministry in Jesus Christ. Living our lives as a drink offering to the Lord. Poured out to the Lord in a sweet-smelling sacrifice to his honor and to his glory. Amen? And amen. Stand with me, if you will, please.
David's going to come and lead us in a song as we dismiss. In this world, when we surrender, we're giving in and held captive by the things of the world. But in Christ, to live sacrificially, when we surrender, we become free. We are free indeed in Christ as we surrender. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. Thank you for your kind attention this morning. We're going to dismiss. Father, thank you for our time together this morning in your word. Thank you for our time in fellowship with each other and in your Holy Spirit. Bless us now in the activities that are to follow. We pray that all that we think, say, and do may be to the honor and to the glory of Jesus Christ our Lord. And all of God's people said, Amen. God bless you and have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org.